Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. Episode 190 with Cormac Casey, the COO at e-commerce agency, Toby.ie. Cormac, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Delighted to have you. Um, typical fashion of the show, start with getting to know you, who you are, and then we jump into all things good. So uh, if I've done my research correctly, you've grow, you grow, you grew up uh, out west in Galway. Yeah, yeah. Salt Hill. Uh, not posh, though. Well, was Salt Hill a, uh, a name for being the posh part of Galway? Yeah, it carries a bad name. We live in a, we got our house in the 70s when it wasn't so posh. And uh, we're kind of surrounded by uh, people in white Range Rovers now, if you get me. So, uh, what was life like growing up in, in, in uh, Salt Hill? Ah, savage. Like, I, I love the outdoors. So being beside the sea, being near town, our school was close to us. It's a nice part of it's definitely a nice part of Galway. I think Galway's a nice part of Ireland as well. So I really enjoyed it. You're kind of you're not you're not far from anything, far from Dublin. But what's that like? Um so typically when I ask the kind of question around early days, it leads into a question around influence. More specifically, uh people can usually point to like two or three people that had a massive influence on them in their early years that helped them become the person they are today. Could be an acquaintance, a teacher, uh, 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 a family member. Does anybody spring to mind for you? And, and if so, who are they? That's a good question. Uh, so I grew up with, uh, I have two younger brothers and we're all three years, uh, three years between all of us. So we're kind of, we're all pretty much the same age, uh, same maturity, some would argue. But yeah, we grew up uh, with my mom. So single mother, uh, raising three people, which meant uh, my granny became like a second mother to us. Um, she lived next door to us. We were quite lucky. Like mom grew up in the same estate I grew in, grew up in. And she was lucky enough to buy the house beside her kind of home, home house. So uh, my granny had a massive uh, effect on my upbringing, I'd say. Uh, she kind of subbed in of where, we'll say, a father figure is meant to be. But um, it's quite interesting because she's, she's pretty much a mad bastard. She's 88 the last day. Um, and she's still doing things like uh, postman came the last day. She had a water gun waiting on the balcony for him. Oh. Postman walks up. And gets surprised, that kind of stuff. Taste a friend of mine with a shovel a few years ago. She's a bit bananas, but it keeps uh, nothing's taken seriously, we say, in any of our households. So, in terms of influence on kind of frame of mind, I think you'll fairly you'll kind of figure out uh, either through other podcasts I've done or the way I talk to people, the customers say it as well. I'm, I'm quite a I don't really beat around the bush, I'm quite I, I'm an open book and yeah. I'm uh. I don't dance around, dance around issues. I'm fairly, I'll call out bullshitters and if I muck up, I'll, I'm fairly honest about it as well. I think a lot of that came from when I was younger, just, just, uh, you know, kind of enjoy yourself. I'm, uh, I, I don't dance around things. I got a lot of that, say, from when I was younger. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, granny's definitely one, yeah. Well, big shout out to your granny then. Um, what got you into? I, I'll take a bit step back for a second, actually. If you Google you, not a lot comes up, but one of the things that does come up is all around your goal for climbing the seven summits before, is it 34? Am I correct with that? Yeah. What got you into that? It was by accident. Um, 
most things I'm doing at the moment happen by accident. But this one was I joined Scouts when I was younger. I was in Scouts in my local Scout trip, I guess. Um, got really involved and had a lot of friends from school. We kind of all jumped in at the same time. So there's a good kind of group of us at it for a while. And through that, I got into hiking. Um, and then we'll come back to this later, I'd say, because it's kind of where I started in e-com. But I started working in a shop in transition year. I worked full time because transition year in my school was famously no good. Um, and I had all this money at the age of 15 that I was not meant to have. Uh, working 40 hours a week, which is illegal at the time. Uh, child protection actually got involved. It was an interesting, uh, interesting situation. But um, yeah, I decided I want to go to Africa and climb Kilimanjaro. And it kind of just started there. It was an accident. Wow. I found out Kilimanjaro was one of the seven summits. I found out what the seven summits were. Got a good buzz off of that. Went off with, when I went to Africa, I went off with the guy that owns a couturing company uh, who was very involved in mountaineering in his prime, was it? Um, he is officially retired. His name's Pat Falvey. But... Yeah, it was an accident, to be honest. Found out then the youngest Irish person to climb the seven summits was 34. I was like, that's an, that's, a, that's an achievable amount of time. Um, deadline has changed slightly, though, because I want to, as part of that, so for anyone who doesn't know what the seven summits are, they're the highest mountain in each continent, essentially. So obviously Kilimanjaro is Africa, and I've done two others as well. So I've done Europe and I've done Australia. Um, essentially, I've done the cheaper ones because they get very pricey all of a sudden. And time dedication as well in terms of, like two of them you have to away from kind of civilization for 60 to 80 days um which i can't do at the moment obviously setting up and motoring on this this uh business but um yeah to answer your question it was an accident the and now the part of the goal is to get the irish record for uh, everest which at the moment is held by rob mortel which is 26 he was, was when he did it um and the shop i worked in we actually ran an event for talks from adventures and he gave a talk it was when I was 15, I told him I was going to beat his record. So I'm 21 now, I have a bit to go, but that's a, it's tightening up the deadline a small bit. And how long of a commitment is that? Is that, a, is that like a two-week, three-week or 30-day commitment to, to hike Everest? Everest? Yeah. 70 days. So 70 it's, days. it's not a, it's like, altitude's a funny thing because you can't just walk up. People are like, oh, it's 8,000 meters. So it's eight current tools. It's not, it does, it's not, a, it's not as a easy as that, unfortunately, because if you go up, you have to climatize. Like the on top of Everest is a third the amount of oxygen there is here. So you're technically using more oxygen than you can physically get. Uh, above eight thousand meters. There's this funny thing called the death zone. Well, it's not that funny. But um essentially your body's not able to cope. So you can't like there's very there's less than a handful of people that have been up above eight thousand meters for more than twenty four hours. But Everest is eight eight four eight. So you're kind of significantly above that um that uh death zone. And part of that is acclimatizing. So you're doing a lot of kind of training, you get to base, you hike to base camp, base camp, camp one, you do a few rotations carrying gear up. So you might go up as far as camp two in your second week. You might come back as down as far as base camp again, just get you, let your body kind of deal with the fact that you've got less oxygen to avail of. Um, and it kind of just goes slowly like that. So you're kind of going, you could go camp one to camp three. You might come back down to camp one again for another two days. You might go back up to camp four and then weather dances around things as well, but it does take kind of 70, 60, 70 days. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. It's kind of like March to May-ish, uh, give or take a few weeks. This is the season for Everest, but um, yeah, a lot of time commitment. Like being able to having to be able to switch off, not just from work, but like mentally switch off from the outside world and be able to focus on the fact that you're putting yourself through that for the next seventy days is uh, it's gonna be a very interesting one. But um, that's a few years down the line. I have a few others to take off before uh, before we head there. So my girlfriend said to me, uh, we're dating over like four and a half years, almost five years. And she said to me, like, on like year number one and a half, uh, she said, for my 30th birthday, I want to hike Kilimanjaro. 
her 30th birthday is next August. Nice. So we've been doing a couple of like small hikes around Ireland and uh, Madeira and a couple of other places. You know, you might you might do like a like a 20 kilometer hike. Um, but uh, what I'm I'm curious now because the the package that we're looking at to go on is a package where you climb Kilimanjaro over I think it's six days and then you do the safari. What was Kilimanjaro like? Unreal. Uh, I wish I stayed longer and I want to go back. So I was I was 15 or 16 when I went. Um, I went with a group of Irish lads. And when I think about it now, mum let me go off with a group of people to Africa at the age of 15, 16, that she still has not met. She did the same thing in Australia. Um, at the same age, it sounds a bit kind of nefarious, but the, the actual mountain's unreal. Um, if you Google it, you get a good idea of what it's like in terms of it's the only mountain near it. Like there's nothing near it. Mm. There's nothing, there's no sort of mountain, like terrain or anything, it's all flat. And then it's just this big 6,000 meter lump in the middle of nowhere. Um, dormant volcano it's really cool I learned a lot from it if you're going definitely chat off the podcast about a few tips I have but I learned a lot there in terms of like medication hydration eating sleeping what like I learned a lot I, I, was, I was a big gear nerd in terms of like techie like mountaineering equipment and stuff because I worked in an outdoor shop it's got lovely discounts but um, obviously through scouts and stuff as well um, and there's a lot you do need a lot you don't need it's, it's just it's just funny the stuff i learned from there was crazy on the fourth day there's a thing called lava tower it's four and a half thousand meters which is most way up the mountain in terms of altitude but i really started suffering then and i got altitude sickness projectile vomited everywhere uh wasn't too great coming out the other side either and um yeah i thought i was gone like pure headaches coughing up blood and everything i remember i was so we were sharing tents at two and i was in tent with a I called John, who uh, works for Pat or worked for Pat at the time. I don't know if there's any anymore, but we're waking up in the middle of the night there and just uh, one of my water bottles is glowing in the dark. That was the only thing I could see when I woke up. I was like, I'm going to get sick. I'm not, don't have time to get out of the tent. Open up this water bottle, got sick into it, closed it. Just didn't think about it again until I got home. Got home to Ireland, really, I was covered. It was, was filled with blood. I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was vomiting blood. Like it was just, I just had no idea how bad it was at that time, but it was, it was lucky. I turned around like 12, 12 hours later, I was I was okay again, but it's just Jesus. kind of staying on the post. Yeah, I'm probably not giving you a good idea of this now. That's, that was probably an, an extreme case. There's only two of us who got properly sick, and I, I recovered pretty well. The other lad didn't need to turn around. But, um, main tips, eat if you don't want to eat. Yeah. If you get sick, eat more, because you're just throwing up your nutrients. Yeah. Um, and drink loads of water. Loads and loads of water. Uh, after that, there's a few secret tips, but... You've definitely not turned me off it. I, I, but I'm, but I'm gonna plan it that the safari is on on the latter end of the hike, not the safari first and hike. Yeah, earn the safari. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Before we spend the whole interview talking or a podcast talking about uh, climbing mountain ranges, um, I'll be and I want to jump into business in a second. But I'm curious from e-commerce. You studied uh, biomedical engineering at NUIG. One, why did you pick that? And then how the hell did you generate e-commerce from that? Yeah, it's a funny one. So, uh, just to be clear as well, I didn't finish my degree. Uh, I did two years of it. Um, so I went, I always wanted to be an engineer. It was always the thing I wanted to do. Everyone said I had an engineering brain, like teachers and stuff. I was like, okay, I'll accept that. Um, it seemed like the right choice. Filling the CEO, same as everyone else. Started away for the leaving search, got biomedical engineering. I was delighted. About three weeks into the course then, and I knew IG. I was like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, I find it seriously interesting. Like I, genuinely was passionate about the 
the kind of topics behind the course and the the science and the maths behind it it's 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 really cool i think but i couldn't imagine myself being in one of these big uh, medtech companies for the next kind of 20 30 years but plotted on with the course anyway and uh yeah knew i was going to finish out my degree or thought i was going to finish out my degree but stick in my back pocket and probably never work in the industry or if i did it would be for a few ideas i had in the kind of the biotech space but uh how i came across ecom purely accidental so i was when i was 15 was in transition year uh did the first two weeks in the school teachers weren't showing up to classes i said you know not dealing with this went and got work experience uh in a shop in town that i loved at the time it's great outdoors at the time it's changed name since um but outdoor shop kind of name on the tin uh bumped into a guy who'd bought it that month or that few months beforehand uh asked how he work experience said, yeah no problem after the week's work experience he offered me a job i was delighted i was his first hire as like since he took over the company um so i learned a lot i was there for three and a half four and a half years and as part of that he had a friend who worked on shopify agency and used to work and he was ex shopify as well um alan conway and he started building out the shopify store for the for the shop and that's how I got into e-commerce, completely accidental. So I ended up becoming, like, as I kind of jumped the ranks in the shop, I went from kind of retail assistant to still retail assistant with a uh, bit of handle on operations in terms of like delivering stock, buying stock, all that stuff. And then it just kind of, it was just one of the things that that uh, was taken as part of the role as a as a person in that business. And it really was really interesting. Um, and then the way I got into e-commerce myself was one of the suppliers in the so during COVID, when it kind of all went kind of up in the air, one of the suppliers of the shop started offering dropshipping services to help with like cash flow for the businesses. Mm-hmm. I was saying to the boss at the time, James was his name, I was saying, James, we should do this. We should do dropshipping with this supplier. And he said, oh, I'm okay, but well, you should do it yourself. I said, What do you mean? I said, Didn't know what he meant like. Um, so it was his idea to start all this. Uh, myself and another lad working there, best friend of mine, uh, started a dropshipping store for fitness products during lockdown. And it went pretty well, to be honest. Um, we were shipping from a warehouse in Manchester to Ireland. It was 48 hour delivery for everything. I had it all automated. We didn't have to handle the stock. Keen kind of had a little the ads and all that side of things. I was probably more so on the website and trying to uh, automate fulfillment. We got it working nicely and it was starting to take off. And then 1st of January, the appraiser came in. We got a phone call from the flyer saying, can't drop ships Ireland anymore. And then we tried replicating in the UK and didn't work. So. It was kind of a heartbreaking story at the same time, but I went back then working, I was working in the shop at the same time as this. Um, and then I got my first client completely accidentally as well. So the bus <clears throat> at the bus stop, I saw my house one day and I was wearing a Patagonia fleece and we were selling them in the shop and the lad beside me was wearing the same fleece. So I got chatting to him. I can't remember how it went on, but she said, oh, did you get some great chores? He said, no, 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 I didn't, but I know uh, Jambo, the owner. And I explained to him I worked there. I turned out your man, uh, Cookies, his name, um Julian Stephen but he was opening a menswear shop and he was looking for someone to build his website and I said sure I'll do it no problem um and then the day he opened his business I met two friends of his who were there giving flowers and kind of congratulating him for opening a shop both of them became clients uh and it just kind of spread by word of mouth to be honest like for the first year and a half I didn't look for any clients out of pure luck I was taking stuff as it came in and I was learning so much um and yeah that's kind of brought me to where it is now was, so, for those who don't know exactly what it is that you do at Toby, what is it? Two things. So when I started, I was very conscious I wouldn't become one of these kind of like do-it-all marketing agencies because I haven't found one that can do everything properly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's two things that really interested me there, Shopify and Klaviyo. So Klaviyo is an email marketing platform that you can get yep. really segmented and automated with. And Shopify is e-commerce platform. You're going to sell products online. It is the only platform you should bother looking at. Um, to that point, a lot of my work at the moment comes from rebuilding people's sites that were on WordPress, like WooCommerce, Magento, that kind of stuff, and bringing them to Shopify, including a massive Magento agency in the UK um, who are looking at moving all their stuff to Shopify because he, well, not all their stuff, but significant proportion because they outright admitted Magento's not it anymore. Um, he is like 50 staff in the UK and he's saying that. So it was very interesting to kind of hear that from him, but that's where a lot of our work comes from at the moment. So building and designing e-commerce stores. And then the aftermath is where we make a lot of our money and where our clients make a lot of money from us as well. Is the part that kind of people forget is looking at the numbers. Like we're not a creative agency as much as we are a uh, data-driven agency. So like we can look at kind of maintain 15 KPIs of like your e-com store if you have one. And we can say, right, that's terribly inefficient there. You're probably losing a few hundred grand a year there. That hasn't been performing for the last 90 days, whatever it is. And it, it, you can kind of, like when you look at the, like the data, is your customers telling you what they do and do not like about you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't look at it, you're kind of, you're stupid. Um, so that's where we kind of slot in. There's not many people who do that on an ongoing basis. Um, and then on the email side of things, it's quite similar, but it's, it's kind of catering to the inefficiencies, like the general inefficiencies of e-com, like not everyone's going to buy in the first time, obviously. Uh, so picking up that uh, that kind of slack and warming those customers based on what they've shown interest in, what pages they've been on, what color products they like, that kind of stuff, um, and retargeting them with stuff that's relevant to them. And it works. It works very well. There was something on your site, actually, I saw, and I pulled it. It said, uh, if email is not responsible for at least 30% of your annual revenue, get in touch now. That's a big statement to make, you know. I don't know yeah. many who are at that kind of thirty percent uh, figure. Uh, where do you believe most do fall short if they are doing email marketing at all? Throwing a wide net, I guess. Like, why does it make sense for me and you to see the same message if me and you have completely different like personas, different interests, have shown different interests? Like, if you have a website, you have an insane amount of data on your customers, and why wouldn't you use that to your advantage? Um, great example is, uh, you go onto a website, you go as far as checkout, you buy something out of your cart, add your address. And for some reason you don't buy it. You get that email. Everyone's gotten the email, like complete your purchase reading or whatever it says. Um, why are they standard? It makes absolutely no sense. They should be specific to product I bought. If I'm a customer previous or not, where I'm located. It's like, we're building a really interesting automation for a chain of shops in Ireland at the moment where that first abandoned, uh, checkout email references their local store because why not make that uh that kind of link it's it's all brand building like it might necessarily impact revenue on the site but it's 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 all this big ecosystem of just commerce in general um there's a lot of stuff like that and a lot of people like i have a few tricks i picked over the years which i think work extremely well like a lot can be said for sending out automated emails that look like they're coming from people mm-hmm. um because they work for you all day like, like i have a great client in uh, in athlone they're a joke shop and great crack to work with, but they have an email. If you order from them twice, let's say, for example, they're trying to get reviews, but the problem is the quality of their products is no good. And they're aware of that. They know they're selling cheap stuff that's used mm-hmm. once off, like hemp party stuff or I don't know, Halloween costumes, that kind of stuff. Uh, so they're looking for reviews on their kind of customer service as opposed to their product quality. Uh, so what we did for that is an automation went out to anyone who's bought ordered twice or more, and it looks like they're getting an email from Barry. So Barry's the owner. And it literally is like, how are you reading? Barry here from the joke shop and I've known. Uh, Notice your order from us 
more than once, so we must do something right. If you can spare 30 seconds, leave us a review here. It'd mean the world to us. Um, if you're ever in that lone town, pop in for a cup of tea and a chat. Best, Barry. Now, Barry's never written that email, but it goes out to a few hundred people every week. And the reviews, if you Google his, uh, Google My Business, the reviews he gets are unbelievable. And the amount of people that reply to those emails and saying, thanks, Barry, fantastic work. Oh, I'll keep spreading the word about your, all this stuff. And Barry doesn't have to do anything apart from, I did this purposely just to annoy Barry. He now has to have a kettle in the shop because people do genuinely come up looking for a cup of tea and a sit down and chat. Sure, he's no time to do it, but that's me punishing him in a small way. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of wise stuff you can do like that that people kind of drop the ball on. And it's one of these things, like email is a thing that people just, uh, when it's done internally, it just always falls in the back burner. It's never taking a priority because sure, why would it? It doesn't seem like a very substantial thing, but it's a, there's a massive amount of value there, especially when this whole data, privacy, Web3, uh, iOS 15, all this stuff is tightening down on the performance of other marketing channels. Email is one of your only owned marketing channels, unless you have an app. You've control of that the entire time. As long as someone has opted in, you can do whatever you want with their data. Um, as long as it's internal to your business. Mm. And, and like that's a serious, seriously powerful asset in the business. That people are think, I think email is making a comeback. People are starting to realize that. And then obviously SMS is coming up in, in behind that. But I don't think, I don't think Ireland is ready for that at all. Um, Interesting. You know, Barry's got his head screwed on. There's not many like Barry. Um, I had an agency uh, for just under four years, and and I was in the states once giving a talk, um, as part of uh, these clients that I worked with. And uh, one of the uh, tracks of my talk was around email marketing and the whole like don't kind of mass send shit. This was maybe back 2018. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm over in the States at this point, probably three, four times a year for five years. And you go back and you, you kind of see uh, people five months later and you notice that like 98% of the people that you'd spoken to hadn't implemented a single thing. In fact, sometimes yeah. some of the most common things I'd hear, like, and, and these are people that I'm not interested in taking on as clients, but you, you might hear like, uh, what I'm doing right now is working. So what's the point in fixing it? It's got us to this level. Uh, and you could implement that same kind of response for moving from WordPress to, to Shopify. Yeah. When, when someone says that to you saying, you know, we, we've gotten to kind of 10,000 customers over the last eight years, what's the point in changing if, 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 it, if it's working, whether for WordPress, Shopify or email, what do you typically say to them? Let us audit it. Well, so we generally, we do an audit free because we have an automated system set up through an Excel sheet, which pulls all their data from either a Shopify store or a Klaviyo store or a Klaviyo account mm -hmm. and compares it to their industry. Uh, industry benchmarks for Clavio and for e-com in general. Because if you look at it, they're like, oh, well, sure, why would we change what we're doing? We made 10,000 orders in the last two weeks. All that means is if you made 10,000 orders and your site is inefficient, why didn't you make 20,000? Why didn't you make 30,000? Yeah. The data is way more relevant for the companies that are doing well, tipping along and saying, well, sure, it's working for us. Imagine if it's working for them with a no good solution or an inefficient solution. Like I don't have anything, I don't have anything massive against WooCommerce. I have a lot of clients that are on it that are porting over, but uh, we do email for WooCommerce, for example. Um, but the same thing, it's the same principles of, of e-commerce. It's not exclusive to Shopify of what works and what doesn't. Make it easy for your customer to buy. Make it easy for them to trust you. Don't like, it's, it's a few, there's a few simple rules, sell on emotion. Like it's, it's a, it's not a terribly difficult thing when you break it down like that. It's, it's, um, but it's overlooked. So like anyone that has that, like, like we've had clients, we've had substantial clients for email, for example, one who was list blasting. So that's what we call if they're emailing everyone every time they send an email. 
they were sending three, email, three emails a week to everyone. Their email list was 1.4 million people. Jesus. And they were like, well, sure, it's working for us. Look how many sales we're getting. I was like, yeah, but you're emailing Dublin. Like, everyone in Dublin. Like, yeah. And you're not catering. Like, every, you're telling me everyone in Dublin looks the same, dresses the same, likes the same stuff, drinks the same coffee, eats the same food, drives the same car. No. How does that make any sense? It, it, it bamboozles me that people don't see it that way, but that's where we kind of come in. That's how, that's how we're making money at the moment. So for them, for example... If, if, if people did see it that way, you wouldn't be making money in, 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 in this area. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, like, it's 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 great that we have the opportunity to find these uh, inefficiencies, but it's 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 a no brainer. Like, we had a we'd have, we'd we'd a quite a big brand come to us a, a few months back. We did an audit for them, and they found out that their agency was ripping them off. So I did an audit, and everything was like this. And you could see they were, the agency worked really hard. Uh, it was November was the month they renewed their contract. Worked really hard. Results went up. Signed contract for another twelve months. Results went down. There's so many companies like that that drive me absolutely bananas. I have no problem calling them out either. Um, fairly straightforward, those kind of things. If it's companies that are ripping Irish companies off, I have yeah. no time for them. And I have so many examples of Irish businesses feeling embarrassed for spending loads of money on something that got no results, um, second-guessing themselves. Some of them had to go back to full-time jobs because agencies have yeah. um, have ruined their econ presence, like just doing stuff that, shouldn't be allowed to do it's it's funny in the uk there's a there's an approval thing i can't remember what it's called you have to be approved by this government body before you can trade in the industry yeah. of marketing or paid up or whatever it is um we don't have that in ireland it's really it's really missing but um what was the point there for the example of that substantially sized client they come back and they said well look Cormac, i get them posing i was like well, well look we don't trust you now because you're just showing us we're doing everything wrong so why would we why would we continue doing the same thing and paying you see like this and, and uh uh, even though we, like we've been stoned before, would you do revenue share? I, just, I thought, what the you know, revenue share? Um, and that's actually that happened about eight months ago. And that's what we've been offering since. The attribution thing's a bit funny, but we do explain that to clients because um, overall it works in their favor. Like if we, if I make you a hundred grand this month, and I charge you a few percent of that hundred grand, obviously I'm getting paid. I'm happy for it, but my incentives are aligned with yours so much. So I really want your business to work because now it's my business. I've skin in the game. We're shoulder to shoulder. I'm not pushing an invoice over to you at the end of the month like a like a normal kind of client uh, supplier relationship. Um, we're side by side, and it changes the entire conversation so much. It's really it's a really enjoyable way to work, um, and it means like we obviously adopt risks. So if our customers have a bad month of Google Ads or a bad month, something happens to get penalised by Google for SEO, um, then we take the hit for that. Yeah. But it, overall, it's a it's created a far better working uh, environment for us. Um, it's far more enjoyable. It's not this transactional thing of I'll trade you this and what results you get me. Sure, I'm not promising anything. That that's the current agency ways, and it hundred percent will not survive any. We will not survive any longer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me this then: if if you were to look twelve months down the line, and uh, all the all the net new client or logos that you're going on board over the next twelve months, and I don't know if you have capacity to, but let's just imagine you do. Yeah. Um, Let's say you were to onboard 10 over the next 12 months. Would it be fair to say that more than five of those 10 would come from referrals because you've got good, good, like such good customer, happy customers or like paint the picture of where those 10 customers would typically come from for you? Do most of them come from outbound? Are you getting a lot of inbound? And if so, how? Yeah, I don't do outbound. Okay. Um, and it's not because I don't need to, it's because I don't have time at the moment and it's, 
got to do with that conversational capacity, which we can get back to. So that's my biggest struggle at the moment. I'd love to get your advice on it. Um, but I, I, did, I made a decision at the start. So the first thing is obviously customer referrals. Like I've probably pissed off one customer in my lifetime and it was my fault and I owned up to it and they still got very good bang for their buck and I just dropped the ball on the project. Apart from that, every customer has had an excellent experience with us because I'm so picky with who I work with in terms of uh, staff, but also back to the whole thing of I don't want to become this agency, cowboy agency persona, I'd call it. Um, so customers is a really big one. All business owners know business owners. Um, or a lot of business owners have investors who have a lot of different businesses, which is really, which is really taken off for me because they'll come in and they'll say, where's this, where's this more money come from? This lad's doing email, right? I have two other companies there. Uh, have a look at them and that's that's worked a lot for us the other thing i did at the start which was which i did intentionally and didn't think it would work as well as it did was we only do email and shopify i have no intention of doing google ads facebook ads social anything seo because i'm not good at it it doesn't excite me i never will be good at it um it's not what we're here to do uh, it's a completely different wheelhouse completely different game so i i, I got in touch with agencies who do that kind of stuff on behalf of my clients because i'd be We'd be kind of e-com consultants, nearly project managers to some of our clients as well. So it'd be kind of nearly in our contract to, to go and hunt those uh, service providers. And through that, I've made a lot of interesting connections. Like I have one specific Google partner that I work with and only them because they're excellent and they get excellent results for our clients. And if they're driving high quality traffic to our client stores and we're getting paid commission, it's in my best interest anyways. Um, but the amount of them that, because they're niche down into one thing, they get people coming to them all the time saying our website's a bit shy or... You know, we were looking at email, but we're sending to 1.4 million people all at once. Um, that's where a lot of my like high quality referrals have come from. And it's very interesting just kind of get your name out there. Some agencies don't like talking to you, especially me, because the, the ageism thing is quite interesting. Well, I don't know, ageism is the right word, but I'm quite young. If I'm talking to someone who's had an agency for the last 30 years and want to nearly see them as a mentor of, of me, like it's a, I appreciate it, but. Um, they nearly see like they're that, that you're a charity and you're they're doing you a massive favor by by sending someone on, but we do really good work that they cannot do. Do you reckon um, that's in your head works. though? Because I'm 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 29 and I started my first agency when I was 23, 24, and I had that same thought track. But now looking back, I think a lot of it was 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 it was I put more of it on my shoulders than actually they put it on my shoulders themselves. Interesting, but um, it could be yeah, it's definitely probably partially in my head, but. And it doesn't happen when I, like I, I kind of, you know, a customer from the immediate conversation with them, if they're going to be that kind of person, if they feel like yeah. they're doing you a favor. Or I had one customer very early days, and I think thought he was scratching my back by paying me to do work for him, making money. But um, it changed because he was like, I was, I'm 21 now. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he, I was 18 that at that time. I think he thought of me like a nearly a TY student, like he was paying me to cut his grass kind of thing. I made him a rake of money. Um, so uh, there's some customers like that. I, I, I know what you mean, but I don't know. I've definitely faced it where they're like, what, what do you know? But then you I go back to in your back pocket though, Cormac, you got, you got, you got the customer story. So it's like, if that is something that you feel like you're facing, it's like, well, look, I might be 21, but like talk to the people that I've helped out over the last four years and the results they've gotten, then, yeah. then age is not even a question. It's just about results. Cause ultimately if you can tell the right story, with maybe potentially needing to use a customer uh cu customer story yeah then then if if they're still thinking age in that case fuck them off they're not the right client yeah yeah that's yeah. happened a few times the one thing that uh, is definitely on my end 
uh, that's causing it or that's probably aiding this at the moment is, like you said there a few minutes ago, you I mean not much comes up. That was done by design at the start. Um, but I'm, that's changed. So I'm currently building out a new site. I've got clients to change our contracts with us so we can actually publicize who they are. Some of them are nice names, some of them aren't. But, you know, just to kind of give us, give a bit of a better public profile to our actual company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SEO agency and PPC agency that we work with that are absolute geniuses. One's in Australia, one's actually in Goa. Um, they're doing work for me for free because I get them a lot of clients. So the public profile of, let's say, Cormac and uh, the agency is is going to be a lot more kind of verified soon. So people come to us, I can say, check the website. Case studies. We have case study documents, obviously. They're anonymized. Yeah, um, yeah. They'll be going up soon on the website. Um, and some public case studies as well with some really interesting names, which which will just speak for themselves. Go to my website. And yeah. if you have an issue with age after that, then. Yeah, had interest in oh, and and that's actually really interesting because it leads me to my next point. Um, I had come across your name a couple of months ago, and one of the kind of things that I do when I'm researching my guests is to obviously Google them to see what else is out there, and there was very little on you. So this is maybe a couple of months ago, and I said, uh, maybe in my own head, I was just like, you know, typically if 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 there's very little on someone, it's by design, and they might be like a highly direct person. And they're just not interested in any media. And I had a ton of other guests in the bank. So I said, nah, there'll come a day where I, where, where if I'm going to get them, I'll get them. And something came up in Porterhouse maybe six weeks ago. And I said, he, he, he you, you shared something or you commented on something or Porterhouse put out something or Porter Shed, sorry, Porter Shed. Uh, and I said, I'm going to drop my message because if I think if I can get them now, I can get them. Um, and that's what led to you being on the podcast. So you're in the Porter Shed podcast studio do you want yeah. to give a shout out to the lads of what it is like up there for anyone who's based in the west Portershed is savage um there's a lot of advantages so Portershed is like a co-working space but it's so much more for anyone who hasn't seen it before just google it um there's two locations at the moment there's a third building there which we open in november it's huge uh not just a co-working space though like if there's it is you know people say it's a co-working community which is like a spoofy name it genuinely it's like there's a keg right there beside me which we get hammered every friday um, we don't pay for the beer, it's free coffee, free parking in town. There's a lot of perks like that, but also, like as a sole founder, you can go through a lot of, you know, it's tough enough. And you're seeing all these different people, either people you can ask for advice, like there's three other here, three other lads here, they're kind of around my age. We bounced ideas off of the entire time. Um, I just get a second set of eyes on things. But even even if you're not a sole founder and you're in a team and you're just trying to set up your company here, the amount of contacts you have in here that are so easy to reach just because you're a member of the Porsche compared to you know, they uh, you might never be able to get through to them. Otherwise, it makes a big difference. Um, the other thing is you don't know who you're sitting beside. Yeah. So, like at the start here, I was sitting in the same room as people who sold companies for, you know, tens of mil. Uh, they're just there typing away their computer, same as everyone else. And it's a nice motivator to see. Well, if they're doing that, I need to I need to kind of slam down here and get into the work because there's opportunity here. It's a it's a very motivating thing. Like before that, I worked from home, and you know, it's not the same. It, it, it fuels ambition a lot more than sitting on the couch or sitting on a laptop facing a wall um, in the bedroom. Like, yeah, uh, 100%. 100%. I'm based in, 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 in a WeWork in Dublin, and, and I couldn't agree more um, about not just the benefits from the, from the beer, but from just the, the when, I, when I joined, I think I met, I've met now in person four guests who've been on the podcast just purely from being in the, the co-working space itself. Yeah, Cormac, I've got one more question for you before we finish up. And for anyone listening or watching this, I'll put links to 
uh, your LinkedIn and website below where people can connect with you or look at your website. I know you said there's a, a, a revamp or potentially a personal website coming as well. And when you do have that live, ping it to me and I'll update the links. But to, but to finish up, the final question is, if you were Minister for Education and had to add a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would the subject be and why? Jeez, that's tough. Well, what are, the current, what are the current mandatory ones? Maths, English, Irish. Yeah, any kind of ones. Yeah, like business, French, all languages, French, woodwork, home economics, all those kind of standard ones that we know of for the last probably decade or two anything outside of that typically someone will come along and say like the top kind of answers will be finance coding uh, psychology leaning towards those kind of areas there's a lot to be said about the fact you can come out of college and not know how to like do your taxes apply for mortgage all that kind of stuff like the real life stuff i don't know if that's my answer though you're gonna have me thinking about this for a few days now um you don't need a direct answer anyway <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think I think languages. Are, I'm very happy that I dedicate time to French in college, in in secondary school because it makes you think differently. Hundred percent. Let me ask you this question then. I'll ask you a, sec- a different one. Is if you were brought back into your secondary school to give a talk to the students, what would the title of the talk be? Leaving sick doesn't matter. Okay. Um, my brother got his results on Friday, and I've never seen a man so nervous. And like we were weren't sure how he's going to do. I've he was the youngest brother, so the two of us, two of us did all right in our leaving sick. I'd say he was nervous enough that he wasn't going to either, I don't know, match us or whatever. Yeah. And he just came out of his room and just goes, I'd have better than Finn anyway, Finn's my other brother. So he didn't beat me, thank God. But he got my other brother, so we're all happy. But uh, like how insignificant that number he got is going to be in six months' time. Yeah. Like, I'm, a, I'm a great, I'm a kind of handy enough example. My brother's the same. He didn't get his first choice. He loves his course now. It doesn't matter. Leaving cert is not it anymore. University it's very good if you want to do a certain thing, but it's not essential either. Um, I do that, yeah. And I, it's a potential talk. I, I spoke, I've, I have quite good connections in, in the secondary school I was in. And it is, I think at some point I will be going back, giving a, a bit of a chat. It's um interesting school, but that'll definitely be involved in it. It might be the title because teachers don't let me say that, but yeah. it might be the subtitle. I like it. Cormac, it's been an absolute pleasure spending the last 45 minutes chatting with you. I wish you continued success in the future. If you're ever down in the Dublin or me there, drop me a message and we can have a beer. But uh, for now, we'll leave it there. Sound. Thanks for watching.